G'day. Welcome to the City Reach Family of Churches YouTube channel. You know, we know that uh, online resources are no substitute for, you know, live preaching in your own local church. But we pray that these messages will really bless you spiritually. If you want to find out more about City Reach and our churches, you can go to cityreach.com.au. Now we hope you enjoy this message. My name is Jeff Littlefair. I'm one of the pastors here and have the privilege of looking after the counselling centre and uh, serving on the pastoral staff wherever I'm needed to serve. And today we're going to continue our series in the book of Romans, a mini-series. So if you have a Bible, there'll be one in the pew in front of you if you don't have one. Most of what I'll say today will be up on the screen for you as well, so don't fret if you can't get your hands on one. If you're sitting beside a Christian, they'll lend you their Bible. You can even take it home. <laughs> They won't say anything to your face, okay? I'll just be pleased with that. Friends, I want to let you know, coming up on March the 8th, now, did you get the note about the baptisms on March the 1st? Don't miss that. That's going to be an incredibly exciting time. Um, and I won't spoil that for you, but you want to be there for that just to see how the Lord works powerfully and to celebrate that as a family. So March the 1st. But March the 8th, you'll notice up on the screen, a lovely gentleman, Ilias, and his wife, Effie, uh, they are ministering in Athens and they will be with us on March the 8th, speaking in the morning services. Uh, there will be translation for that, so you're going to get a bit of a feel. If you've never heard translation, how that works, you'll get a bit of a feel for that. That'll be an exciting opportunity as well. Um, I met uh, Ilias uh, last year uh, through Jim and some of the families here, Jim Zim and some of our families. And... What struck me about this lovely man is just his authenticity and his deep love for the Lord. 23, he was out on the streets ministering to the broken, uh, the gospel, and did it with such zeal that he ended up in hospital. No food, no money and suffering. And then, as God would have it, as he was recovering, uh, churches got on board and supported him. They've been doing that ministry for now 30 years. Um, and he's just a delightfully authentic, godly man and has a beautiful, godly wife. They've raised beautiful children who are serving the Lord and uh, we will be blessed by their presence. Just that simple. Nothing too much deeper than that. I was blessed to be with him. I felt honoured and I wanted you to be experience that same honour and blessing. We're going to have a meal together and it's a Greek meal, so just don't miss out on this, okay? Um, but I'm needing you to bring some stuff as well. But let's all of us join over in the cafe on the 8th uh, with Elias and his wife and enjoy a meal together. Just a great excuse to have some food and some fellowship uh, and to meet a brother from the other side of the world, as it were, and enjoy his company and see what God's doing in that place. Uh, he's ministering currently with Mercy Ministries, or that is the ministry that God had raised up under his leadership. So that'll be an exciting time. Now, we've been going through the book of Romans and we're at the third of seven marks of a believer. The first one, the mark, first mark was to receive grace and to respond with surrender. And you'll see that in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Pastor Timon took us through a fortnight ago. And then more recently, last week, he took us through pursuing daily renewal of the mind with God's word and that beautiful wonderful truth that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds which is just supernatural to think that the holy spirit can bring the word into our lives in such a way it actually transforms us from the inside out all this 
rubbish we get from the world about trying to change ourselves and trying to force ourselves into something which is impossible most times and yet God says I can transform you from the inside out and he does that work so beautifully power from without us and then today I'd like to look at our God-given gifts in service of one another so I want to take you through verses 3 down to 8 in Romans chapter 12 and look at our God-given gifts to the heart of what I'm trying to express to you today in this message is a healthy church is a church where every member of the body is, de is deploying their God-given gifts for the building up of the body. So that's where every single one of you are using the gift that the Holy Spirit has given to you, not for yourself, but for the edification of the body. You may not be thinking in those terms. You might have just be a part of our church community and you've been it for a long time and you don't actually do anything else except for rock up and you're missing out on this wonderful blessing that, and the wonderful theological truth that when you were born again and the Holy Spirit indwelt you, not only did he seal you for the day of redemption, but he gave you a gift. And that gift was given to serve the body and to bring glory to God. And we want to talk about that gift. We want to talk about how God gave us that gift. And we want to talk about the attitude that we, how we, we serve in that gift. This passage, these verses 3 to 8, are written for Baptists. It, it breaks up beautifully into three parts. <laughs> I tried to break it up into two or four just to be a little bit unpredictable, but I couldn't do it. Um, failed again. Verse 3 really speaks to us about how we ought to think about ourselves. Verses 4 and 5 speak very much how we're to think about one another. And verses 6 to 8 talk about how we should turn our phones down in a worship service. <laughs> so verses 6 to 8 speak about how we ought to think about spiritual gifts. And uh, don't you find it amazing when your phone goes off how hard it is to actually turn it down? Like you, it, it seems to be that we become completely unco when it comes at it so so firstly I want us to look at how we should think about ourselves verse 3 up on the screen for you or in your Bibles for by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think more highly than they ought to think but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to them have you ever been around the guy or girl who thinks too much of himself now you you may think that's me let's let's just keep that between you and me um, but if you've been around that person that just can't stop talking about themselves, they've done everything, they've done it better than anybody else has done it, and oh, they are just a pain in the neck. We had a guy that uh, applied for a job with my father as a bricklayer, and when he interviewed for that, he came on the job, we were doing a job, and he was poking fun at my bricklaying, telling Dad how fantastic a bricklayer is and how he'd done this and he'd done that. So we took him on. We had him for two days. It took us another two days to fix the work that he did. He was hopeless, absolutely hopeless. Couldn't wait to see the back of him. But when he was banging on about how good he was, I was sure I was going to lose my job and Dad was going to take him on. People who think too highly of themselves are useless. There's another side of that coin, though. There are those people who think too little of themselves. They pretend to think too little of themselves. They, they put themselves down and say, oh, no, like I don't really have any great gifts and I'm not really good at anything and I, I just kind of muddle along and I'm not very good at that. The way to test those folks out is to say, well, you know what? I had originally disagreed with you because I thought you were quite gifted, but now at a second look, I tend to agree with you. You don't really have much at all. 
And you watch the way they respond to that. Because actually it's false humility. They're waiting for you to lift them up and praise them. And the writer of Romans is saying, look, for us to really understand spiritual gifts and our place in the body of Christ, we have to have a right understanding of who we are. We've got to have a standard that we can measure ourselves against and say, this is who I am. You can see where I'm going here, surely, can't you? That really the standard we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be looking unto the Lord and getting our sense of our value and our identity from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what your text says. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That should be, like, immediately Paul is saying, and I believe Paul is the writer of Romans, he says, by the grace given to me, I want to share this with you. He was one of the most well-trained, most gifted men of his time, and yet with humility he says, I count all that as nothing, and yet by the grace that's been given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ, I say this to you. And uh, that should be a little bit of a lead into what he's going to say a little bit further down. And at the end of that verse, he goes on to say, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you and I. So what does that mean? I believe what he's saying there is that our measure of faith is actually Jesus Christ. He is our measure. He is the one that we lay our lives before. He is the one we're looking unto. He is the one who helps us understand who we truly are so that we don't have to pump each other's tires up or pump our own tires up. So let's just take a moment to flick through the scriptures and we've got to move quickly. This is the best way not to have a runny nose when you preach. Have tissues already prepared. I guarantee I won't need them today. Come with me and let's have a look who we are in the light of Jesus Christ. Does, doesn't Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 tell us, as it is written, none is righteous. What does it say? Come on, let's have some fun together today. Come on, let's hear your voice. As it is written, none is righteous. Amen. That is so encouraging to hear you speak. So God very off the bat says, I created you in my image and this is who you are. You are spiritually dead before me. Romans 3.23 goes on and says, For all have sinned and fallen short of... So God being our standard, we have not measured up. We are in dreadful trouble. And then Romans chapter 6, 23, and the first part of that verse really nails it home for us. For the wages of sin is, we are in dreadful trouble. Spiritually bankrupt, spiritually dead before our God, incapable of being able to measure up to the standard of God. That's where we came from. Have a right understanding of who you are. You did not land on the face of the earth as God's gift to humanity. You came on the face of the earth just like every single other person, depraved, broken, and in need of a saviour. And the last part of that beautiful verse 23, chapter 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And I pray that he is your Lord. We'll talk about that in a moment. So we were depraved and broken and separated from God, but God and his love through the Lord Jesus Christ has given us eternal life. Romans 5 and verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, and I'll say hallelujah, hallelujah, while I was going my own way, 
thinking that I'd found life in alcohol and frivolity and filthiness and the life that I was living, Jesus Christ had already died for me and he loved me and he was about to redeem me from that worthless life that led to hell. Hallelujah. What a wonderful God. Romans 10.9 helps to sharpen the focus for those of you that said a moment ago that Jesus Christ is Lord, our Lord, and if he's not your Lord, then you can make him your Lord this morning by the working of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it looks like. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, but because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? Come on, you can do better than that. What does it say? Amen. According to God's word, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. God has enabled you to believe in your heart the message that Jesus paid the price. And he's enabled you with your mouth to confess that. So that with your head and with your heart, you are fully trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 help you to understand this is not a work of man, this is a work of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that what? No one can boast. No one can boast because it's all a work of God that he enables us to participate in through the empowering of his Holy Spirit. So that's where we've come from. We were depraved and broken and then we received the, the beautiful unmerited grace of God in our lives. And now according to God's word, we are children of God. We have been saved and our future is no longer hell, but our future is heaven. We are no longer on our own. We're actually indwelt with the spirit. We have a new identity. And with that new identity, the old has passed away and the new has come. This is amazing stuff, isn't it? This is who you are. And along with that indwelling spirit, not only has a new identity come, but God has given every one of you a gift. Some of you, many more. But remember, it's not you that gave the gift. It's not you that merited the gift. It is God who indiscriminately of his own choice, out of his own love, for the sake of all of us here, has gifted the body of Christ so that we might minister to one another for God's glory. What a privilege that he didn't save us just to sit in the corner and warm a seat. That he didn't just save us to have us on the sign lines while everybody else did the work. But God has saved every single one of you and endured you with his spirit so that you might be a part of what God is doing in this place. This is not a church of spectators. You're in the wrong place. That was like a couple of weeks ago with the tennis. This is actually the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, everybody's got a job because God has gifted you to do that. And the beautiful thing is that when we operate within that gift in the correct way, we get doubly blessed. And I'll explain that if I remember to in a moment's time. We come in early in the service before you guys all get here. And we get in groups, the, the worship team, they get in groups and they pray. And some pray over there. We've got about... 15, 20 people that gather together to pray about for you and for this service today that God might be honoured. One of the things we pray about is for the guys up in the multimedia. And today we've got Joe and Luke. I think Josh is hiding up there as well. Yeah, he just bobbed his head up. 
Okay? They get totally unnoticed, and yet that screen doesn't work without them. Okay? And I preach like for four hours if that screen doesn't work. So, well, man, we love you guys. Okay? Don't, Vincent, don't nod so rigorously, please. That was a joke. All right? Um, on the sound, we've had Matt and Amber and Graham and Jeff, and we've got folks helping out with the filming of the service as well, David and others. And our prayer for you at the beginning of the service is that as you serve quietly, that you might get that deep joy of the Spirit as you serve unto the Lord. Not serve me, that's always going to be a disappointment. Not serve, as it were, looking for thanks from us, but serving God. And there's a blessing that comes in using our gift as we serve God. That's what we're seeking. And uh, I spoke with a friend of mine recently, thanks, uh, saying to me how much he enjoyed leading communion and how much that just blessed him to be able to share and, and use the gift that God has given him. And he said some of the church circles he moved in used to say it this way, it's a hide that you can't buy. And I thought that was very clever. I thought that was funny. So there's a blessing that comes in using our gift. And God has given you a gift. He's made it so that you are given that gift by him. And we ought not to think more highly of ourselves. Nothing worse than the person that thinks too highly. Nothing, nothing worse than that person who pretends they haven't got a gift at all. We ought to reflect upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Look wonderfully into his wonderful face. And thank, say, thank you, Jesus, that I was going nowhere. I was dead. But now I'm alive. And now I have a future. And it's out of that awe for you, Lord Jesus. It's out of that faith in you. It's out of that beautiful measure of grace that you have given me that I now serve you. Do you see the difference there? You see, it's not serving out of guilt. Not serving out of a false motivation. It's serving out of the awe that we have for God. And that is reward in itself. Guilt and duty are the poorest of motivators for service. Guilt and duty are the poorest motivators. And we at City Reach, you, our body, we don't want to serve that way. We want to serve out of the awe of God. We want to serve out of our new identity. We want to serve out of remembering that once we were dead and now we're alive. That's where we want to serve out of. So how do we think about the body? How do we think about one another? Have a look in verses 4 and 5. It says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members uh, do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. I did the Baptist thing here as well. I've broken into the three pieces for you. When I think about that passage, I think about the fact that we have unity, we're one body. We have diversity. We have diversity because we're all differently gifted. So one, we're one body, and yet we have many members because we've all got different abilities. And then there's a mutuality in that too. The third thing is a mutuality where we serve one another in our diversity and in our unity together. Have a look in your Bibles at verse 3. For as in one body we have many members. There's one body. We have a unity. And you know why we're one body? It's that, uh, the building of a brick wall. When one person under the leading of the Holy Spirit comes to faith, 
and with their heart they believe and with their mouth they confess, they become a child of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it's like a brick being placed in the wall. And then another person believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and it's another brick and another person and another brick and another person and another brick. And God is building this wall, building his church one brick at a time. He's been doing that this week within our congregation. And there we have a unity because you're the same as me. And I know that fills your heart with dread. I don't want to be hairy and 55. I get that. I don't either. But we're the same because we were once dead spiritually. That's what God tells me in his word. We were all born into sin. We were all separated from God. There was only one man who was born without sin, and that was the man Jesus. And that man died so that I might be forgiven and you might be forgiven. And so we're one body. We're all exactly the same in that way. And yet we're all very, very different. This is the beautiful thing about God is that God has gifted you naturally and supernaturally. He takes your natural gifting that you've received from your parents, your family, your environment, your culture, your natural gifting, and he enhances that many times. But then on top of that, he gives you spiritual gifts that you can use within the body. And we're all, we're all different that way. Some are good at speaking and some are good at making coffee and some are good at serving others and some are good at praying. And it, the list is endless. The list is endless, I believe. We're going to look at seven of these in a moment. Just seven. That's eight. Hey, don't, don't laugh. The school I went to are just one ahead of you guys, okay? We're going to look at seven. If you go through the scriptures, there are some uh, passages that would talk about nine gifts and you, you might, if you work hard, get sort of 15 different gifts. I don't believe that the scriptures actually tried to number all the gifts. I believe it's always been more of a representative that there are gifts of various kinds and they're too hard to number. And I think God did this so that we don't try and slot each other into something and say, well, you're that and, and you're that and, and you're that. And don't come out of there and do that because you're that. And, but God has incredible variety, as you would, if you think about it, expect because he's altogether awesome. So we have a unity, but we have a diversity because we are mem many members. But then we have this mutuality that, this is incredible, that you could have like, we've got about 300 people in this service at the moment. Every one of you has been individually gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve one another. Now, I know that some of you here have got an administrative mind and you might be able to make that work, but man, that would just make my brain explode to try and think how we could knit all of you together to make you work and yet God has gifted this local expression of his body City Reach Baptist Church perfectly with everything that it needs that we might serve one another serve our community and bring glory to God how clever is that if you're not hearing me well this morning there are no spectators at City Reach Baptist Church yes you may be sitting somewhere and you've never served and you've never felt like you wanted to serve. I want to implore you to relook into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and be reminded of what he has done for you and that he's clearly given you teaching and a command that you are to serve as he served, laying down his life for others. If the gospel is not the driver of why and how we use our God-given gifts, we will take a back seat and become consumers rather than givers. 
Let me do that again for you. If the gospel is not the driver of why and how we use our God-given gifts, we will take a back seat and become consumers rather than givers. Can you, do you get the meaning of this? When I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about what has happened to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, how we've been forgiven of our sins, which is what we covered just a moment ago through the book of Romans. And when you, you gaze into that reality that once we were broken, once we were lost, but now we've been saved and we have a new identity and now we're a child of God and we have a new future. And so the, our natural response to that should be, God, I want to serve you. And he says, of course you do. That's the way I made you. Of course you do. That's the way I made you. And when you serve me with that attitude of awe, you just get a blessing on top of a blessing out of it. God has made us to be servants of one another. But when we operate out of guilt, when we get forced into service, we end up getting to a point where we think, actually, you know what? You guys are here for me, and I'm just going to sit back and let you serve me. And that's a really terrible place to be because that's anti-gospel. That's not how God treated us, and that's not how we should treat one another. And I get brokenhearted over that because I look around the room, and we've got some awesome talent. Ben, your drumming is just rocks, man. And all the old drummers that can't do it anymore because they're all kind of bent up and their knuckles don't work, they're all telling me how clever you are. How we need to use our gifts to bless one another, to bring glory to God. Let's have a look at, in the few moments we've got left together, time goes so fast. Romans 12, verses 6 and 8. How we should look at the gifts. We've looked at how we should see ourselves. We shouldn't overestimate our ability or underestimate our ability. We should look into the face of Christ and look into what he's done for us and that gives us an understanding of who we are. We've touched on a bit how we should see one another as, as we serve together in unity, as we serve together in diversity, as we serve together mutually together. But let's have a look now just briefly at how do we think about spiritual gifts? Verses 6 to 8, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy, in proportion to our faith, in service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his ex exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And that's, that's a just... They're so gorgeous. And again, a sampling of the incredible giftedness that God has given to our church. And you may, you may fall into one of these seven. Very, very likely all of you do. Some of you will have more than others. If you're a nurse, it's going to be mercy. It's just the way it is, I think. That's been my historically how it works. Let's have a look at prophecy. When he talks about prophecy, the thing that I want you to... The underlying thing I want you to understand is that it, let Christ be your standard if, if prophecy is your gift prophecy can lead to thinking too highly of yourself but when we gaze into the face of christ and we have an understanding of ourselves then prophecy can be used in the correct manner prophecy by nature is predictive primarily it can be uh, explained too as a, a strong foretelling or proclaiming of god's word over a situation primarily it speaks about bringing conviction it builds people up it speaks to a current issue. As we look through the scriptures, we see it speaking to current issues uh, that are happening in that time, but primarily predictive. Service, the word service here is the classical word we use for deacon or deaconess. 
And when I look out through the room, we are just filled to the brim today with deacons and deaconesses. Every one of us is called to serve. Every one of us is called to be a deacon. Every one of us is called to lay down our lives to serve others. A deacon is described as a, an under rower, a servant. And the, the primary thrust that I think that the writer of Romans is trying to bring through here is that we're to serve one another unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. So as we serve one another, we're really seeking to serve God and we're to do it without reservation. We're not to do it in half measures. We're to expend ourselves in the service of one another. I think that's really beautiful, don't you think? You imagine if God had sent the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ said, look, I don't work on Wednesdays or Thursdays and I like to take half a Saturday off as well. And I'm happy about the cross as long as someone else goes. It's a little bit too painful for me, a little bit too gory. I think I might just pass on that. And I've gone through my HR statement and I really shouldn't be involved in some of these things. They're a little bit dangerous. We could go on about that all day and crack up. But you'd have to say, if you looked at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was all in, wouldn't you say? From the very moment, he was all in. He knew from the very moment, a baby in the manger, that his life was going to end on an agonising cross. And for who? For great people? No. For people like me, who despised him and rejected him and ignored him and mistreated him. This is to be the attitude of servants. Teaching is different from prophecy in this, that I believe that teaching speaks about the idea of being systematic. Teaching is talking about the instruction of the mind. Prophecy is directed at the heart and primarily the will. But when we think about teaching, it's speaking about a focus on knowledge and speaking to the mind. Oftentimes, prophecy is a focus on revelation, whereas teaching is systematic. It is a really an understanding of knowledge. And the underlying thing that I want you to get through this and the way it's written is you are meant to exhaust yourself in that. Um, I had the uh, privilege of going through a Bible college and it really was a privilege. And uh, when I look back over that, many of those lecturers exhausted themselves. And we did, I don't, looking back, I don't think I appreciated that. It was a bit of a focus on trying to get to the other end. But they exhausted themselves for the benefit of us so that God could get the glory. Whatever gift you have, we ought to exhaust ourselves in the pursuit of honouring God. Exhortation, I love exhortation. It's one of those warm, fuzzy ones. And the idea of exhortation is that, if you can picture it this way, and I always think about the Holy Spirit when I think about exhortation because in, a, in definition of it, it's coming alongside and putting your arm around somebody. It's coming alongside to encourage them. It's coming alongside as a brother or a sister where you have relationship and, in, and exhorting them to do something. Sometimes it may be to bring a challenge. Sometimes it will involve bringing a rebuke. But it's brought a, a rebuke when you're in the arms of someone who loves you and cares about you. It's not just a cold slap from a distance. Beautiful, wonderful gift that God has given to our body. Giving... When he speaks about giving, giving really the underlying thing here is that we all need to be giving because what we have is not ours, it belongs to God. And God has given it to us not just to meet our own needs but to meet the needs of one another within our body. 
So when we think about all the things that God has given us, we can often be thinking, if I keep saving that, I'll be able to do this with it for myself. But perhaps what we need to be doing is saying, God, I recognise that all that you've given into my hand is to be used for your glory and possibly to meet the needs of other people, which means we'll have to go without ourselves. My son just recently bought a 65-inch TV that he can talk to, and it does stuff for him. You know what that means? I'm going to have to buy a 75-inch that talks to me, just to be. We get choices with what God has given to us. But the underlying theme here that I want to say to you is that we're to do it without hypocrisy and we're to do it with a humble simplicity. We're not to let our right hand know what our left hand is doing. We're to do it with a humble, broken, servant-hearted attitude where we give unto the Lord. I'd like to take more time to explain that to you. I've got a hundred illustrations I'd like to share with you about that, how God has blessed me over the years through the humble service of others who have given without hypocrisy, who gave not expecting anything in return. Oftentimes they gave in a disguised manner so that their identity would not be known. They were just pleased to give to the Lord. Really beautiful. Leadership is a very, very heavy one. Don't wish for that gift. And I say that because what leadership I think means here is that it's leadership over you, the flock of God. And your elders who have assumed that mantle will one day stand before the living God and give an account for your souls. You will not do that. Don't you get the, the depth and the weight of that? Not only do they have to put up with our sour faces and our complaining along the way, then they have to stand before the living God and give an account of how they dealt with the flock. It's a huge responsibility, huge responsibility that they are very, very able to fulfill because they've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to do it. But uh, we ought to do all we can to make their role easier. We ought to do everything to open a door before them so that their job is not burdensome or overbearing. We ought to serve them as Christ has served us. And finally, the last one I want to touch on is mercy. And I love this idea of mercy because the root word here is, is what we get our word hilarity from. We're to give with hilarity. We're to give with abandonment. We're to give with incredible just generosity. And not just financially, but of ourselves. To abandon ourselves into the hand of God for the glory of God that we might serve one another. The guy knocks on your front door and he said, I've come around to mow your front lawn. All oh, right. Where's your lawnmower? Oh, it's got no fuel in it. Far out. How long has this lawn been wet? Cut. Six inches long and it's wet and I haven't got all day, you know. Just came around to help you out. Fair dinkum. Your trailer's got a flat tyre, so I'm going to have to go and get that fixed as well. And by the time he's finished, you're thinking, man, get off my property. I'm going to mow you down in a minute. You miserable sad sack. We don't serve like that, but people do serve like that. They serve as though it's the worst thing in the world. And yet God has given you his spirit and he wants you to serve the same way that Jesus served with you. Jesus didn't go to this cross dragging himself along, feeling sorry for himself. Jesus went willingly, it says he gave up his life for you. And we are to serve one another with hilarity because it, isn't it hard to receive Oftentimes, do you find it hard to receive? I, when we came to Bible college, that was probably one of the first times we were put in that position where we had to receive. And I found that very, very tough. And man, we ought to make it as 
easy for people as possible. And the way you make it easy for people is you serve with joy. You don't make them feel like they owe you one. You serve with joy, just the way that God has served us. David Kruger said this, The paradox of serving others in the name of Christ is that in emptying ourselves, we find self-fulfillment that many are so deeply searching for. Do you get that? Man, you only have to be like in the world for a short time to realise that people are are killing themselves for self-fulfillment. And uh, they are doing all sorts of weird and wacky things to get that. And yet Jesus Christ has given us this incredible turn-on-your-head type thing. Actually, true fulfillment comes not serving yourself. True fulfillment comes when you serve others and die to yourself. And God has given that to you as a gift. He loves you so much. He's given that to you as a gift. The gospel must inform, as we close, the gospel must inform and empower the emptying of ourselves for the good of others. That's what service is. The gospel, the good news that Jesus saves, informs what I do, it drives what I do uh, in terms of service, and it empowers what I do for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it should for you as well. We need you. You need us. We need each other. So this is not a drive to get you all signed up. If you want to stay in your pew and do nothing, look, knock yourself out. But if you have felt the work of the Holy Spirit and you see the wonder and the awe of what Jesus has done for you and you are moved by that awe, then we want to give you every opportunity to use your gift. And you would have seen Jeremy in that very, very pretentious way where he pretended to choose his ministry just by chance, which he did in both services, which is quite, the odds are quite miraculous. <laughs> really, yeah. So... Um, And we have many other uh, opportunities on the uh, table outside. And they're not to guilt you into that. We want you to go out there moved by the awe of Christ. Same way that we want you to give your money is not out of compulsion and not out of fear, but out of awe for the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to serve. And what an honour it is to serve with all of you. Let me lead you in prayer as we close. Father, I want to thank you for these precious people that you have called here today. I thank you that you know them so well and I thank you that you have gifted them so well. And what a privilege it is to, to serve with them, to, to laugh with them, to cry with them, uh, to live with them, to be in community with them. And Father, we ask that you would inspire us afresh as we gaze upon all that you've done for the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Father, that we would go out to serve one another same way that you have served us with with joy and with passion and with zeal. We thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen.